It is a time also when all seems to be under attack. With, with the Apostle Paul, you know, he's facing the world, he's facing a society, he's facing all of these things. The church itself was under attack, the gospel was under attack. There were people who were advocating for themselves, they were, you know, trying to gain power, gain people. All of those things were going on at this particular time. And at times when we are under attack, and I, I, I believe that without getting paranoid, we as Christians find ourselves under attack in this particular world. And it is interesting to me, it seems to me, of course, if you're on the side of being attacked, it seems as if the, the attackers don't play by their own rules. Even though they have rules, they don't play by their own rules. They tend to turn things on you, and it tends to be your problem, your difficulty, and you're the problem in all of these situations. As well, it appears that the attackers are also oftentimes, they're free to ridicule. They're free to malign, to accuse, to call you names. For example, oftentimes Christians are called bigoted. You know, we're, we're biased about things simply because we say, well, we have a belief that this is how God would want us to live life, that God has laid out laws and directions. Now, you have the choice to follow them or not to follow them. All that we're saying is that if you ask me how you think that I think that God would have you to live, how you ought to conduct your life, according to the Bible, this is, and according to the things that Jesus has taught, this is what I believe. Now, you can take it or leave it, which is, which is fair and okay because we see that's exactly what God did in the Garden of Eden. He lays out the law. He lays out the garden. It is a great place, but he says, I, you know, you, you have some choices here. He did that as well with Israel when he brought them out of Egypt. He says, I set before you this day life and death, blessings and cursings. And then he, he encourages them, choose life. So it is with this kind of thought that we, we look at our world. Now, Timothy, we, I think what we can draw from what we understand, Timothy appears to be the new kid on the block. That is compared to the Apostle Paul. I am also going to suggest, and I'm not trying to be gender biased, but, but I think a reality, Timothy appeared to have been more influenced by both his grandmother and his mother because Paul talks about them. He had a Greek father and a Jewish mother. And so Paul talks about and, and names both his mother and his grandmother and their influence in his Christian life. As well, Timothy tends, appears to be a little more tender-hearted. I say that because Paul's talking about, well, you know, last time when we parted, Timothy, you were full of tears. You were, you were crying. Um, so Timothy, being a young person, being reared by mother, women, and all, just uh, tends to be more tender-hearted in that regard, uh, maybe a gentler so than the Apostle Paul. Now, the Apostle Paul is, is not a Clint Eastwood, 
but he's been through it. Okay, and what he's going to tell Timothy takes on a little different impact. I say that he's been through it. He has been beaten. He's been shipwrecked. He's been left for dead. He's been stoned. He's, you know, we're not talking drugs. He's, he's been all of these things. He's been through it. So when, you, when you're facing trouble, and then, of course, he's been through it with the Jews, because he was a Jew and he was a prominent one. And in order to be a prominent person in the Jewish society and to be taught by Gamaliel to, to, to have that leadership, he had to be kind of a tough nut, so to speak, and pretty self-confident in his ability. And then, so now he's persecuted by the Jews. He's persecuted by Christians as well. He's got other people trying to get his job, as it were, accusing him. He, he is, he's in prison, you know. He's, he's got these problems. He, he has people in the government. And it's like, so you're going to threaten me with death? Hey, been there, done that. <laughs> Timothy, on the other hand, is, you know, I'm not sure about this, Paul. You know, I haven't been beaten. Now, my grandma and my, and my mom didn't beat me. And the like. I haven't been through all of these things, and I haven't been through all this argumentation that you've been through. I haven't had the formal training that you've had, where where I where Timothy could say, "Well, I feel like I'm holy and blameless and all of these." So, so you got this young buck, as it were, and the Apostle Paul is trying to encourage him, and we're going to take a look at the wording that he uses. So. Paul has always been a force to be reckoned with throughout his whole life, and he's experienced all of these things. And Paul is kind of used to being disliked, you know, a tough skin, so, so individual. So what we need to look at is the fact, first of all, if we're talking about Timothy's own demeanor, and even the... Timid and Timothy, you know, it's kind of you think, oh yeah, timid, timid, Timothy. But let's take a look. And I talked about this being a little bit like our society and the tough things that the Apostle Paul knew that Timothy was going to be facing. Let's advance ourselves before we actually read the words that he tells him about this. In, in, well, in, in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 7 where he tells him, again, I remind us of this, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, a love, and a self-discipline. So let's take a look at the cast of characters and the kind of world that Timothy was facing. According to the Apostle Paul, chapter 3 now of this letter, here's what Paul tells Timothy. But mark this. In, in essence, Timothy, be aware of this. This is, this is the reality. There will be terrible times in the last day. Now, we tend to think, well, we live in the last day, but in, in his day, there were, there were terrible times. And just the fact that there's, there's a threat of being terrible times is not encouraging in and it of itself. And then he says, people will be lovers of themselves. We use such terms today as people are egocentric, people are narcissistic. We use terms like that, but they're, they're lovers of themselves. They're lovers of money. 
And we think about lovers of money, you think about what people do who love money. You know, they're workaholics, they're, they're greedy, it's, it's all about, quote, the bottom line. We see that in, both in corporate and in individual lives as well. And he said, of the people, they're boastful. You know, uh, that's what Paul was encountering. There, there were people, and Paul had to deal with this. Remember, we talked about, well, these people are saying all this about themselves. He said, well, let me tell you a little bit about myself. But that's, he was countering a boastful world. Well, we, we live in a boastful world. People, you know, and it's really, really prominent, both in politics and in sports in our world today, people boasting about what they can do. And also proud. I mean, uh, proud people create a lot of difficulty. Abusive. Um, I mean, we look at, we, we live in a very abusive world. We, we think about, for example, there's abuse in Afghanistan, you know, women, the way the treatment they have there. There's abuse in, in our government. There's abuse in our country. There's ab abuse of power. People who have power, how abusive they can be and what they do. So they're abusive. They're disobedient to parents. Now we think, well, that, that seems like a small thing. But, you know, you have to look at our world today when you have kids that can just basically say, well, I'm going to do what I'm pretty well pleased and there's nothing you can do about it. And if you try to do something, I'm going to call protective services and I'll have you arrested or whatever. And a few generations ago, that wouldn't have gotten very far. And... You see the result of that. It's, but, yeah, disobedience to parents. So it, it has an incredible impact because it's a total disrespect in that regard. Ungrateful. Now, it's, it's very difficult when you have people who are ungrateful and ingrates as well. They don't appreciate what they have, what they've been given, um, it's like young people sometimes, well, why can't I have this toy? Well, it only costs $75. Why can't I have anything? $75. How many hours did I have to work to earn $75? Well, you can't buy it. And then it's like, you know, they flip out and they have their difficulties. Unholy. You know, the, no desire at all to, to be a certain holiness about them, a certain morality, a certain lifestyle. Without love, now we're all talking all psychopathic, without love, the inability to love, only maybe to love themselves. Um, so without love, unforgiving, and you think about a miserable world where people are unforgiving of one another, it is a very, very miserable world, and I use Clint Eastwood, what was the movie, Unforgiven, it's a vengeance, hate, you know, I'm, I'm out to to kill this individual. Slanderous. You know, we've got all kinds of papers and stuff and slander and people calling each other names and we've witnessed that in our politics recently about people, well, saying things about one another. For what purpose? To get themselves elected. And it just works all over the place in that regard. 
without self-control, just doing what you want to do. Again, that I, I, I believe is very, very irresponsible without any kind of control. That this, These are the kind of people this young man, as a pastor, as an evangelist, is going to face. And so it's a tough situation. Brutal. Uh, you know, ISIS is brutal. They are terrorists. They are evil. They are brutal. Not lovers of good. And I'm reminded of Isaiah. I think it's Isaiah 5, verse 20. It says, they call evil good and good evil. Not lovers of good whatsoever. Treacherous. <laughs> and again, you know, people are deceiving and deceptive. And they smile at you and they're stabbing you in the back. So they're treacherous, rash, you know, just explosive, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then with all of this, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. So it's like, well, we believe in God, but we're going to do what we blank well please. Because nobody has a right to tell me. I, I, have, you know, I have my rights. I can do whatever I want to do. So he says, have nothing to do with them. But sometimes you cannot not have nothing to do with them because they will get in your face because you're just trying to do your job. So that's what Paul is telling Timothy. This is the kind of world you're going to be facing. So here's what he tells him. And I think it is so helpful to us to understand. First of all, he tells him in verse 6 of chapter 1, for this reason, I remind you to fan the flame, the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, what he is talking about, obviously, is the Holy Spirit. By the laying on of hands, it is a gift from God. And he says, I want to remind you of that. Now, there is an importance for all of us to understand that we have to be reminded, and that's exactly what I'm trying to do for each of us today, is to remind you of the giving of the Holy Spirit, the gift that you have, that that gift is from God. So I want to remind you of that. Because when we're under pressure, there is a tendency to forget. For example, life goes awry for us. We have losses. We tend to forget. We say, why God? Why did that happen to me? You know, why this problem? Why that problem? And the difficulties that we face. So we tend, we panic. And we tend to get unreasonable at that time. We tend to get dramatic. And I'm going to suggest as we move through here, that creates quite a problem as we tend to, to lose faith in God and get under that drama. So, but the reminder that he gives us here to Timothy is the gift is a gift from God, but it isn't a material gift. It isn't a physical gift. It is a supernatural, spiritual gift, and that is the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is God, the Holy Spirit, dwelling in us. And what we're going to be talking about isn't about power that comes naturally. It isn't about love that comes naturally. 
And it isn't about a sound mind that comes naturally. So on the latter end of this, I'll remind us of this, that the James says and reminds us of wisdom. First of all, there is a earthly wisdom. And then there is a godly wisdom. So when, so when I talk about the natural as opposed to the other, so what he's reminding him of is a spiritual gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. It isn't natural. It is a gift from God. And it is beyond the natural to the spiritual. Beyond the natural giftedness. Because we all have a certain natural giftedness. For example, you may have a physical power. You may be a weightlifter, or you can do this or do that. You got strength. You have power. Uh, you have power to rule yourself. You 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 have certain natural gifts. You have uh, a natural love, kind of a natural love for self, for those that you love, and those that love you in return. Uh, it gets a little. Shaky when you get beyond that. It's not as easy to love, for example, the person that just cut you off in traffic and to care for them. Or the person who is being irresponsible. It gets a little difficult. Now, when we talk about the gift, again, we go back on the day of Pentecost, the Apostle Peter was preaching. And he says in Acts chapter 2, I'm speaking of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But not only you, he says, he goes on to say, but so, so also your children, which would include us down through the, the time, through uh, generations of life, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So then this is what he says of the Spirit in verse 7. God has not given us a spirit of fear. So we find, first of all, the involvement of God, God the Holy Spirit, God giving us that spirit, but it's not a spirit of fear. Now, the, the, the Greek word that is used here is delia, which means timidity. And again, you can see where Timothy would associate himself with that easy enough, or people would associate Timothy with that. Fearfulness. But the way this is used here in 1 Timothy 7 is cowardice. He's not given us a spirit that we are cowards. Now, let me clarify a couple of things in terms of fear. I don't know, any of you have any kind of, you don't have to raise your hand, but any of you have any kind of phobias? Well, I don't like heights. I'm not really, really good with heights. And I don't like snakes. So those are the kind of things I got a little anxiety. Another thing that I don't like is not knowing. You know, I'm, I'm the typical guy. I'm lost. I'm, I'm like a guy who's got PTSD. I'm irritable, I'm cranky, I'm grumpy, I'm all of those things and a whole lot more. I don't like the unknown. Anxiety just ratchets up in me if I don't know. I, you know, it's like people who have test anxiety. It, it, just, it just spreads and, and then they can't even think. They get panicky and they can't do any of those things. 
this is not what I'm talking about. The cowardness that we're talking about that the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy about is a cowardness towards the gospel. Because this is what he's going to talk about later in this chapter, in this letter. He's going to talk about, I am not ashamed of Christ. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of who I am and where I am. And of course, in that particular case, Paul's in prison. But he's not ashamed of that because he is doing that. So those are the areas in which we do not have cowardness or we don't have this timidity. We're very bold. And, and the good news, and, and here's where you and I can be very bold in this. The good news of the gospel is that we have salvation in Christ. The good news is that we are his. And that's where Diamond was reading from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. You look how positive that is, that we have a Lord and Savior who knows us from the creation of the world, you know, he, who's raised up into heaven, heavenly realms, and we have an inheritance, all of that. The good news, we have incredible good news, and that's the good news we're sharing. And we share that very, very confidently. As well, we share with great confidence, and we are not cowards to say that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. He is our high priest. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Jesus is God in the flesh. We are very confident of that. Now, I get a little squeamish when we get off of areas other than that. But in this case, we can have great confidence in those things. So we don't have a spirit of fear. So Paul's admonition is belief in the spirit in Timothy. He's not asking Timothy to do this on his own. And, he's, and Paul isn't saying, don't be afraid. That's, that's not it. But he's telling Timothy that God has given us a spirit, a power, of love, and a sound mind. Now, the Greek word for power here is dunamis, which means force. It implies miraculous power, ability, and abundance. So Paul isn't saying, Timothy, you can press 300, bench press 300 pounds. No, he's talking about the power within you is a miraculous power. And it, this is the kind of power that it's going to take to work, to manage life. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, and the, and the way the gifts of the Holy Spirit are love and joy and peace and all of these things, this is what you are empowered to be different. Now, Paul himself says in Galatians 2, verse 20, he says, The life I now live, it's not me, it is Christ who lives his life in me. And who, by the way, who loves me. So when I think about the power that we have, we have an incredible dwelling in us, an incredible power. And that is the Holy Spirit. We also realize that all power, and I talked about that last week, all power in heaven and earth has been given unto Christ. He has all power. And for us, we, when we see things through the Hubble Space Telescope, and we see, and it's reported this last week, that the universe is expanding faster than we believed that it was expanding. When we see this in, incredible things, and he created all things, he holds everything together by the, the word of his power. We, we just, wow, what, what incredible power. But we have God living in us, in the Holy Spirit. We also, in this power that Jesus has, we learn from Jesus how to use that power. 
And it is the Holy Spirit then that helps us to learn how to use the power that God has given to us. Because though Jesus had the power to destroy, Jesus had the power to degrade, he, he had power to call angels down from heaven, he did not misuse his power. So it doesn't imply, when he talks about power, personal power. It implies using the power of the Holy Spirit, and that is for good. It's for good in our lives, because personal power and powerful people tend to get ugly, and ugly real fast. I mean, we saw that with Pilate, with Jesus. Don't you know who I am? I have power to take your life. I have power to crucify you. They tend to get ugly. But we have an incredible power, and that is the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Secondly, he says love. Now, the Greek word here is agape. It means affection or benevolence or charity. So, you think, well, oh yeah, well, we have love. No, this is not what Paul is talking about. The word agape is the same word that Jesus used with John. In John chapter 21, when he said to John, Do you love me? Do you agape me? And uh, Peter replied, Yes, Lord, you know I feel you. I love you. I love you like a brother. That isn't what Jesus asked. Jesus asked him again that same, Do you love me using agape? And he says, No, I feel you. You know, you're, you're like a brother. Then finally Jesus said, Well, do you love me like a brother? And Peter is very irritated. So let me turn this around for us a little bit. God the Father says to us, Do you love me, Agape? And we say, Oh, yeah, Lord, we love you like a brother. I'm going to suggest to you and I, brethren, you have missed it entirely. You have missed it entirely. And this is what Paul is telling uh, Timothy. Look, Timothy, if you don't have agape, if you don't have agape love, this job that God has given you to do, which, by the way, you don't have this on your own, is far worse than you could ever imagine. Because it is the, the agape love more than a brother, that, that allows you to pastor, to minister, to shepherd, and, and to work your way through this. So let me put it another way. And, and God, in essence, is saying, do you have a passionate love for me? Well, no. Oh, so, brother to brother, sister to sister, do you have a passionate love for one another? It is in the marriage relationship. And for people who are recently married, people who can have memories and they go back to their young love and wedding day and all of that, what kind of love did you have? Well, hopefully it was passionate. Passionate. Because there's a world of difference. What is it? Cher had the, that song, you know, about love, and it's, it's basically what she says, it's in the kiss. You know, kiss your, the side or back of your hand and see how much passion you have in that. 
But reflect upon the first time you kissed your bride. Whoa, it's a different world. So why should we have a passionate love for God? Because God is so awesome. He is so so beyond us. And yet we're His children. We have a relationship with Him. We have a passionate relationship with Him. That's the kind of relationship that we ought to have. As we get old and we kind of wear down and all that, that passion begins to dwindle. It's kind of like said in the book of Revelation of the church, they lost their first love. There is that first love, which is a passionate love, which I think that we'll have for God for all, all eternity. And that we also have for, for, for Christ. Because, you see, when you see Jesus only as Jesus in the flesh, a brother, you don't see who he really is. It was Thomas, when he stuck his hand into Jesus' side, that for his first time his eyes got big and, you know, his whole mind expanded and said, My Lord, my God. You see, it is this passionate love. Now, to me this is very encouraging because I love passion. I love to have a passion for things. So Paul is telling Timothy, Look, Timothy, and by the way, brother, you can't have this. You and I cannot have this without God's Spirit. Because what is the first fruit of God's Spirit? Love. Is it just love? No, it is a passionate love, first of all, for God. And it is that kind of passionate love for God and for Christ that helps us to love our neighbor. To do things that we could not and would not do of and by ourselves. We have a passionate love for God. So if you say, well, I love God, and you don't help out your brother. So it's like if you have a family living with you, and you're caring for them and all of that, and we love you, and they're messing up your house and not, you know, working and cooperating, you got a little bit of a problem here. It's a lack of understanding. We have a responsibility to one another because we love God. So... This is what he's telling him. And then, now, this is not out of place, scripturally speaking. Because what did Jesus tell his disciples? He tells them in in John chapter 15, in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Do you think that the Father's love for Jesus is mundane? He's He's just my brother, just my son. No, God has a passionate love for Christ. So what he tells us there, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, and so ought you to love one another. It is with that, and it begins to change. So if if you and I are going to love, and if you're just doing it, this is the, the big jump that we have in our life. With the Holy Spirit in our lives, our love for God, our understanding of God, the awesomeness of God is absolutely awesome. It's passionate. It's exhilarating. It's firecrackers going off. It's, you know, when you see something that's so awesome, it's like you're, you're thrilled. Unlike that little thing that when you feel the tingling leave your body, it's common sense. No, when we feel the tingling in our body, it's because God is so wonderfully awesome. And so that's the kind of love that 
that Paul is saying to Timothy, now, Timothy, you're going to need agape. That comes through the Holy Spirit. That is not natural. And then thirdly, sound mind, which is sophophimus, which means discipline, make sensible, sane, self-controlled, or in the King James, sound-minded. And I'm going to we'll, we'll call it the sanity of saintliness. And I'm going to suggest this, brethren, that cra- sin is craziness, and craziness is sin. Sin will make you crazy. I want to give you, oftentimes I'm just talking about things at hand. What I have observed over the years in, in the addiction, is, it's, and it's true in alcohol, is that people who are alcoholics oftentimes will blame other people for their problem. You caused me the drink. If you wouldn't do this, if you wouldn't do that, you're wa- and you end up walking on eggshells. And after a while, you know, you begin to believe that you're the problem. They wouldn't drink if it wasn't for you. And they manipulate you. Your life is so changed. It is, you just become crazy. I use a term when I'm talking with people and counseling with them. And forgive me for this, but I call it mental incest. We all know what incest is. But for me, the metaphor that I'm trying to get across is that it's inbreeding of your own ideas in your own head. And it comes out a deformity. That is not sound-minded. Now, let me give you an example of things that run on the periphery of lack of sound-mindedness and with the lack of the Holy Spirit. What happens to us, everything is drama. And I'll use this example. Talking with people lots of times, and they'll say lots of times, i got a million things to do. And I say, well, there's about... I think 86,000 plus seconds in a 24-hour day. And if you did 12 things a second, you might be able to get it done. Now, in reality, how many things do you have to do? Well, I've got to pick up the kids at school. I've got to fix lunch or dinner. And I've got to make this meeting. And that's about what I have to do. It seems overwhelming. But when we get full of drama... Which, by the way, I don't think the Holy Spirit is dramatic. Then what happens is we paralyze ourselves and basically we do nothing. We end up doing absolutely nothing. If you'd write on a sheet of paper, here are the things I have to do today, and this is how long it would take, it, it would get done. It wouldn't be that drama. But our thinking is so screwed up. And without God's, the Holy Spirit working in our minds, we can think that worldly wisdom is wise. Do whatever you want to do. No, it isn't. That's why that the Apostle Paul is, is telling Timothy, the people that you're going to face. Now, again, remember 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 8. These people are lovers of themselves. They're this, they're that. You know, there's all kinds of mental health issues in essence going on. These people are psychopaths. This is what's happening in the world. To say nothing of the devil. And we, we haven't even dealt with that. People justifying themselves in, a, in sinning in, in the world, and calling evil good and like. It's going to be crazy making, Timothy. And you're going to think you're crazy. You know, that 
people would think that you're crazy that you believe that there is a resurrection, that there is a God, that Jesus dwells at the right hand of the Father, that there's a spiritual life that we have. think, well, that's crazy. Who's died and come back? Well, Jesus. So it's crazy-making. So Paul is saying, Timothy, a sound mind. The Holy Spirit helps us to have a sound mind. By the way, this is not out of line either because Paul told the church at, at Philippi, let this mind be in you that is in Christ Jesus. We seek to have the mind of God working with our spirit, God's spirit working with us, whereby we have a relationship with God. So Paul is telling him, Timothy, God has not given us, and he includes himself in this, he's not given us a spirit of fear but of power, of love, and a sound mind. And it is that Spirit, the Holy Spirit, working in you that will make all the difference in the world. And that you'll not be ashamed to testify about the Lord or ashamed of his prisoner, that's him, he goes on to say, or the suffering that you go through, or the power of God. Because, you see, there is a godly wisdom. There is a truth and all of this. It didn't, we learned this. So in our world in which we live, I pray for all of us. The power that comes through the Holy Spirit, the love that comes through the Holy Spirit, and a sound mind. Because one of the most used words in our society today is dysfunctionality. This is a dysfunctional world. It's a crazy world. Getting crazier. May you find sanity. May you find the power, the love, and sound mind that comes from God. Let's conclude in prayer. Father, we thank you very much for your love, your kindness, your mercy for everyone here. We pray truly, Father, as we, this season of the coming of the Holy Spirit, we celebrate the Holy Spirit, the triune God in us. We just ask for your blessing now and your guidance and direction. Thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Feeling the blues today or tired of life already? Do you have questions about life or need spiritual advice? The Worldwide Church of God is located in Fairfield, Santa Rosa, and Modesto, California. We welcome everyone to attend our worship services with us every week at the times listed on your screen.